Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And share with your friends, family, and colleagues as well. It makes a huge difference indeed. So today we have two wonderful guests on the show, Gemma Bull and Tom Steinberg. And we are talking about modern grant making. Not only do they have a book called Modern Grant Making, but they're both experts in the field. They have different backgrounds, and we're going to hear about uh, the insights that they're bringing in that would be useful and that are useful for professionals in the world of grant making. There's been a lot of changes over the last, particularly over the last two years with the pandemic and so forth, about how grant making is thought about, trust-based philanthropy, the power imbalance between global north, global south, and so forth. It's just a million different things. So Tom and Gemma are going to give us a little bit of insight into how they see the world and hopefully some bits of wisdom that might be extremely useful for people in this space. Gemma, Tom, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thanks, Alberto. It's really great to be here today. So obviously, I'm Gemma, and I'm one half um, of the Modern Grant Making team. Yeah, and uh, I'm uh, I'm Tom Steinberg, um, and uh, I'm uh, pretty obviously the other half. <laughs> Excellent. Well, welcome to Halves. We have a whole. Tell us a little bit about yourselves. Why are you experts in grant making? Sure. Well, Tom and I spent the last two years researching and writing what we hope is the most practical possible book uh, we could for people working in grant making. And it's fantastic to have the chance to talk about it with you, uh, especially when we know that lots of your listeners work in that sector. So quickly, uh, a little bit about me. So while at high school, I went to and volunteered for a LGBT plus youth group, so personally benefited from the support of nonprofits. This experience helped me to understand what nonprofits did and also gave me an insight into the vital importance of organisations working to promote human rights. Quite a bit later, this led to me undertaking a master's in human rights and working for different international NGOs in strategy and innovation roles. Um, and after experiencing being a grant seeker and a grantee for kind of over a decade, and the highs and lows that can come with that, uh, I saw a new senior job with uh, somewhere called the National Lottery Community Fund about redesigning their uh, funding offer to try and make it more open, accessible and community led. Uh, for those that don't know, the National Lottery Community Fund is the UK's last community funder, which awards around £600 million annually. So that's about $800 million. I ended up working there for nearly five years, latterly as the director of funding strategy, where my responsibilities included building teams, leading hundreds of people and driving a major redesign of the whole organization's grant making. So across people, processes, systems and culture. So I see funders as incredibly human places, not just mysterious black boxes uh, that money falls out of. Great, great. And Tom, your background? Yeah, so um, just like Gemma, I have a career that's seen both sides of the grant making table. So way back in 2003, I founded a highly digital nonprofit called My Society. And that was back in the days when the internet was young and people were a great deal more optimistic than they are today that the internet might make the world better rather than worse. Um, and I grew that from just me to nearly 30 people working in several countries. And in the process of doing that, I had a wide range of experiences of grant makers from being at first absolutely a nobody scrabbling around for like a couple of thousands to get started. And then later on to the land of great big foundations trying to have like straight faced conversations where the numbers were in the millions. And I felt, you know, like an imposter. Um, and um, 
And given in the middle of that, given that I was running a nonprofit that was really born in the digital era, I was endlessly struck by how easy a company like, say, Amazon makes it to buy things. And then by contrast, how hard quite a lot of the funding organizations I dealt with made it to get hold of the main thing that they do, which is, of course, funding. And eventually, after a bunch of years, I just couldn't ignore this contrast, this gap anymore. And I decided that what I really wanted to do was work on lowering the barriers that many people still feel when they approach funders and they try and access them. And it's in that process that I stumbled across Gemma, who was working with very similar values and goals. And here we are, you know, a few years later, the proud parents of a, of a little book about grant making. Yeah. What's the state of affairs with modern grant making today? What, what uh, how would you describe it? Yeah. So, um, Modern grant making, why is it called modern grant making? Well, that implies that it may also include a critique of several aspects of traditional grant making. But before we talk about that, I think it's extremely important to state that our book is emphatically not another philanthropy is terrible tome to add to the growing pile of, of such books. The main purpose of our book is to be a practical guide for overworked grant makers who are trying to solve tricky everyday problems. And it's worth noting that while many professional grant makers do work for large philanthropic foundations. Many others work for very um, different organisations like community foundations and government grant makers. Um, so we're not just about sort of biggest philanthropic funders out there. But there is undeniably a critique in part of our book. And that's because our real goal with publishing modern grant making was to put out a clear rallying cry for grant makers who feel in their bones that it's time for the grant making world to change and get better. Maybe Tom, you can talk about why it needs to change. Oh, well, um, yeah, so we, and it must be said, many, many people we interviewed strongly felt that there are, unfortunately, some rather depressingly common bad practices and even bad values that have no place in our profession of grant making. And if you want to be really firm about it, and why not, it's a podcast, you could say that there are actually some practices that should probably be stamped out of grant making. And as we interviewed people to research uh, the book, we just heard like so many complaints. And you might think that most of these complaints would just come from grumpy people who failed to get money from funders, but that isn't so. Some of the strongest critiques came from people who work inside the foundation world itself, people who see behind the curtain every day. And even it must be said, very successful grant seekers, those kind of geniuses who can make it rain all the time, like they often also have sort of like horror stories to share. So what am I talking about? What are these complaints? Well, the most common were accusations of things like arrogance, discrimination, bias, a disregard for evidence, a casual lack of empathy for grant seekers. We heard these themes and some others just like again and again from different angles. But these problems on their own really wouldn't have inspired Gemma and I to write a book. We are not, the two of us, we're not natural polemicists. We're classic solution-oriented type sort of do-gooding people, you might say. What motivated us to, to write was the joy and the real happiness of finding that there are grant-making reformers out there right now who, who share these critiques, but who aren't just complaining. They're attacking them head on in different ways. And very often, these reformers of grant making are people hidden within grant making organizations themselves. And in fact, if you're a grant maker who frankly, if you subscribe 
to do one better, then, then there's a reasonable chance that you are someone who takes your job so seriously that you sort of are a reformer yourself. And in terms of the reformers, I mean, how easy is it to reform what's been you know, established for, for quite a long time? And, and what are the main sort of movements that you're, you're being able to distill about how things are being reformed? So there's a lot of professional books out there that promise to help you revolutionize your job if you just learn one neat trick. But the thing about the business of grant making um, is that there isn't <laughs> one neat trick. Um, it's far too complicated and good grant makers have to be aware of and be good at many things. So our book contains a lot of different tips and tricks, um, but there absolutely isn't one magic bullet. Now, one of the biggest sort of problems with telling complicated stories is how on earth do you make them readable and memorable? And we found that one of absolutely the best ways we could try to do this was to tell stories about how individuals and groups in grant making had decided that the status quo wasn't good enough uh, and, and you know, share what they've been doing to try and make it better. So overall, uh, the book mentions really quite a lot of these kind of reformers and movements um, because they are interested in all sorts of different areas of grant making from the legal status of US foundations to the way that randomized control trials can be deployed to generate new types of evidence of impact. So for example, um, there are largely networked movements like hashtag shift the power, which ask difficult questions about rich funders working in the global South uh, as part of what it does to very focused driven projects like Edgar Villarueva's Decolonizing Wealth, which has moved from a book to a whole initiative that is successfully persuading some institutional funders to hand over large capital sums to be run directly by the communities that are supposed to benefit. But for today, we want to mention just three groups and individuals that we think are frankly terrific, and that symbolise different but related reform movements all happening inside, inside grant making. And Tom, maybe you can share some and I'll come in after you. Yeah, so um, first up, just as a kind of lovely example, is the international um, uh, participatory grant making movement which is represented um, by networks like there's a there's a network called the participatory grant makers community if you're on twitter you can go and find them i think that they are um, a participatory grant making or participatory grant making.org on the web and in books also like letting go a relatively new book from from um two people called massey and robel who have written a kind of like a, a guide to like what you need to know about participatory grant making and why it counts and if you're not familiar or if your lead readers listeners are not familiar with the, the 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 jargon this movement is advocating for a type of grant making where people from outside the walls of funding organizations that's people who don't work for funding organizations get to have a really direct say in where money goes uh, and this means you know where people from communities get to decide how money is spent and what on and where they get to really decide rather than just being kind of consulted so Gemma do you want to like maybe mention another one sure and then there's a different kind of um, reforming beast <laughs> there's the UK's excellent grant givers movement which is a network for reform-minded grant makers, um, often at the more junior levels of their organisation, who want to bring attention to bad or retrograde practices to nudge and perhaps even kind of embarrass some funding institutions out of them. So they've been doing some amazing research and, and kind of survey work where they ask questions like, uh, Does you, do your organisation's board members get appointed through a transparent process? Answer from a relatively recent survey was only 41% did. And another survey, which is mentioned in our book, Modern Grant Making, asked if people had seen actual bullying or harassment going on inside their funding organisation. 
40% uh, of the people who answered the survey said yes. Um, so shocking, but also very motivating uh, for us to want to do something about that. So we really love the grant givers movement because they are inside the grant making system and are a constructive, hardworking part of the system too. But they're sort of not um, can sort of consumed by politeness and the desire to never offend anyone. Uh, we think we need more of that if we're going to cast off some of the kind of uglier sides of traditional grant making. Tom, do you want to go for a third? Yeah, and so like for like just a third kind of celebration, let's let's talk about um uh, an individual um rather than an organization institution. And uh, I want to pick uh, the wonderful Voulet who runs the nonprofit AF blog and website. Now, me and Gemma, we really don't know Vu on a personal level. We just admire him from very very far away. I say very far away because uh, we're in the UK and he's in Seattle, so that's a long way away. Um, but the role that he plays in the grant making sector internationally as a constant truth teller, especially a truth teller to the US foundation sector, is just like is just amazing. And in particular, he tells truth on you know issues of social justice and racism in American grant making, particularly. And he's just a tireless champion for the idea of really trusting nonprofits and communities that are especially run by people of color and um you know put bluntly just giving them the damn money and not agonizing about it he's also incredibly consistent is very funny advocate for his cause and very talented at um uh coining really catchy ideas that will go out there like the hashtag hashtag crappy funder practices um, and uh, also an idea we mentioned in the book, crediting Vu, which is the idea of uh, funder fragility, when um, funders maybe can get a little bit more upset than you would imagine they would be as kind of people with lots of power and money. And so um, we really love what he does. And, you know, if you don't already subscribe to his newsletter as a listener, then definitely we'd encourage you to, you know, take a look at Nonprofit AF and sign up to the newsletter and you won't, won't regret it. So tell me about... Um... You know all the all the insight that you've been able to gather from from the interviews and from writing your book. If both of you were back in grant making organizations, if you were working in that capacity today, what are some of the main things that you would grab onto that that would make you change from the way you were handling things five years ago? So, um, in some ways, uh, we obviously tried to manifest some of the things we really care about. Um, uh, in the work that we did before. So you're asking here, you're pushing us to talk about things that maybe, um, you know, we would have not been so hot on before we went and talked to a lot of people. And so I'm just going to name sort of one offhand, which is um, we worked for an institution in which it was really um, uh, quite difficult, possibly you might say impossible to um, do much unrestricted grant making. Um, and like, it's probably worth pausing for a second. Many of your funders will already know what I mean when I say unrestricted grant making. But just for clarity, um, uh, most grants given by funders to nonprofits in different places come with lots of rules about how that money is spent. Um, and, and sometimes they come with hardly any rules. Now, if there are lots of rules, like uh, you can only spend the money on this and not that, and we call that restricted grant making in 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 the business. Um, we are big advocates of of unrestricted um, grant making, and not only that, but we think there's a reform movement around unrestricted grant making, which I guess it would be great to have been part of, and would be great to be part of in the future. And when when I say like a reform movement what i'm talking about is that there is generally uh, this movement to encourage funders to make more of their grants more unrestricted and make fewer grants with stringent restrictions and it's probably worth saying 
that there is absolutely no movement pushing the other way. There's no movement out there encouraging funders to add more restrictions because generally speaking restrictions on grants they just emerge naturally from the bureaucratic woodwork there doesn't need to be a pro-restriction party in grant making any more than there probably needs to be like a pro-gravity party on earth right it's just it's just there it just it just happens and making more unrestricted grants is so obviously a good idea that Gemma and I actually put it on top of like our list of no brainers. And the no brainers is this part of the book, Modern Grant Making, where we just try to remind people that, that even though it's really fun to talk about very complex and very imponderable things in grant making and to have big seminars, there's just some things that you should always do, like where there's, all, there, there, there's no excuse for not doing them. So a different no brainer from the same list is just tell people no quickly and clearly. Don't mess around telling people no. Um, and, and making a larger amount of unrestricted grants is for us one of those ideas. And you know why? As a funder, it means that each dollar you give is bluntly more likely to be well spent. And as a nonprofit, it means you can change and adapt in an unstable era and goodness knows we live in an unstable era instead of being obliged to like plow on with a project plan from a couple of years ago that you just don't believe on anymore but you've got to live up to and so um i'm going to name one person people should follow if they're into unrestricted which is um john rendell who is director of like the international like peter kundal foundation john rendell is on twitter as like just the most consistent pro unrestricted person out there and he's funny and he's wise and so like um yeah while we're celebrating other people uh take a look at him well if you if you do like john rendell he he has been on the show before so feel free to download that episode uh very big on trust-based philanthropy and uh, and are people talking about this and actually doing it or because because so i had john on the show and I mentioned to uh, the head of a big foundation here, I said, look, I have this guy, John Randall, on the show, big on trust-based philanthropy. Um, you guys should take a look. And the, and the feedback I got from that person was like, yes, I hear a lot about trust-based philanthropy, but when it actually comes down to it, and we're trying to get some grants, in practice, it's all sorts of restrictions that are up there, even by, by those who, who say that they're embracing this what's your experience how are you you know does the talk align with reality um so i think there's this is just my personal perspective i think there's um a few things in the world of philanthropy and grant making where there's still quite a bit of talk and not as much action <laughs> i think i think kind of moving to trust-based uh, philanthropy and, and, and unrestricted is, is one area but but i do think the trust-based philanthropy project um sort of started up by the Whitman Institute. And we did interview one of the co-directors, uh, Pia Invante, for, for our book about how Whitman had moved to a spend down uh, organization. I do think that um, sort of in the US and internationally, that project has shown that there are, there are funders that have moved to that way of working or have always worked like that. And I think that's an important point to make. Um, and their, their website has fantastic tools and resources, not just about principles, but practically what you can do as a funder. Um, and in the UK, there's somewhere called the Institute for Voluntary Action Research, known as IVAR, um, which is running something they're calling the Open and Trusting Grant-Making Initiative. And so far, um, over 100 funders have signed up to adopt or continue implementing certain principles, like enabling more flexibility. Um, and what's great is that IVAR has produced some reports on how funders have actually gone about making unrestricted grants, both from a grant maker perspective, but also from a board member perspective. And it sort of really gets into the detail about what you might need to consider, and what you might need to do 
not just about kind of um, making the grants or having an application form, but sort of thinking about working with partners to manage them and thinking about impact. Um, so I definitely encourage checking out ivar.org.uk's website. Yeah. Now, one thing I, I, I admire about both of you is that you, you had your experience in grant making. You thought you want to share some of your insight, but yet also you wanted to do a, a lot of research and interview folks and see what's actually happening out there. What are the key trends? And then you actually did something about it. You put pen to paper, uh, so to speak, and, and came up with this book. Was that journey very challenging? Because I'd love, you know, I, I always encourage people who have great insight and great things to share to actually share it. Not everybody actually takes the, the plunge and writes the book. Yeah, so so it was an enormous step for us. Neither Gemma nor I had ever written any kind of, you know, the, um, published book before. Um, so there was just, you know, there was the whole doing a thing that's incredibly um, unfamiliar. But we actually had a really, there was a really strong motivation to do it. And it was, I, it might have been stronger than a normal, like, it'd be nice to write a book motivation. And here's what it is, right? Which is, we noticed that, um, well, there are some, like, there's some great books on philanthropy out there, some, including some great people you've had on your podcast, like Beth Breeze, right? Like, but a thing that we noticed um, is that, Quite often, if you read the kind of books that are normative, they make recommendations. You should do grant making like this, or you shouldn't do it like that. There were there were two things about this that left a sort of a, a big gap in the market for advice. The first is that for whatever reason, often these books are aimed implicitly at the most powerful people in grant making, the ones who have the agency to make an enormous choice. Like, you know what? I'm not going to fund cancer. I'm going to fund but I'm going to fund kittens, you know, and I'm going to move all the, I'm going to move hundreds of millions of dollars from here, here to there. And often like the, the books out there are sort of like about, <clears throat> should you fund X or Y? How, how can you weigh up these like terribly kind of difficult questions? And what that ignores is that in a lot of funding institutions, masses of the people who work there, even the great majority of people who work there don't have that kind of massive agency. But what they do have is a million difficult questions day in, day out. How do I have a good call with this person that is successful? How do I communicate with them without patronizing them or confusing them? How do I like manage up to my board members who don't seem to understand what I'm recommending? How do I hire people if, I, if I'm in an organization with more than one? You know, I don't think there's ever, ever been a guide ever to like the hiring of grant makers as, like, as, a, as a sector in a way that you might get in other fields, right? Because we're a funny little secretive niche. We're one of the you know, most unusual parts of kind of the global economy. Uh, and and so um, uh, the the very fact that the, the the literature tends to head up to those sort of like vaguely Bill Gatesy sort of figures, it just meant that when you know Gemma and I worked in an organisation uh, simultaneously for a while where there were literally hundreds of grant makers, and most of these people, let's be clear, these are working people. They come in to do grant making every day because that's their job, and they you know, they're not going to go off and you know just like float around because they are not independent philanthropists and so on so um uh, and and the amount of advice that we could hand to people like that was not great especially not beyond the basics beyond the like learn to read you know learn to read a charity's balance sheet and something where there is you know decent sort of training out there and so um it, it, we were doing that absolutely classic thing that people do sometimes which is writing the book that we really wish someone had handed us Right. Uh, and um, and the truth is that, that when you sense there's a gap and when you sense that there's people who are struggling 
then the motivation to get through the you know <laughs> the boring bits of book writing that's a lot stronger and plus it must be said like we did it because the two of us were kind of um allies and friends and by doing a project like this together it's all all much more much more approachable yeah i have to say though even though you say it's aimed at uh those people who are doing the 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 legwork right actually delivering the grants and so forth uh you're also being read by 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 very accomplished philanthropists as well and actually a mutual friend of ours fran perrin um when she was on the show the second time she was on the show mentioned your book uh specifically as a great uh, resource that people should be reading so uh i think you're covering a, a, a quite a good spectrum of folks who are involved in philanthropy across the uh, across the board well, that is really nice to hear. And Fra Fran is one of the real leaders in, I think, in the world in relation to how foundations and funders communicate publicly what they do and how they be less secretive and how they be more transparent. And like, I don't know if anyone has ever done more for the business of just making sure that it is possible to find out which grants were made where, especially in the UK. And so, um, yeah, it's nice to hear. What can I say? It's very flattering to hear that someone like that would say those nice things. How are, uh, you know, I know we have an institute of fundraising, for instance. Um, what's the flip side for grant makers? Where, where, where do you find that grant makers are congregating to talk around the sort of water cooler, let's say? Where are people sharing knowledge? Where, where, where is that happening? Where are the fora? Yeah, well, I think the first thing to say is that there isn't a chartered institute or an institute of grant making. Um, that's one of the things that when we interviewed kind of 100 or so people working in grant making and people working for different nonprofits, both in the UK, US, Canada, kind of globally. Um, that was one of the pieces of feedback was kind of around developing skills that there doesn't seem to be a kind of, um, you know, well-known kind of pathway or kind of skills to support that. The answer is that there's just a whole bunch of stuff. Um, as we mentioned in the book, there's, there's kind of uh, more academic kind of roots in terms of um there's a couple of uh, master's degrees for instance in, in in the uk focusing partly on um grant making but then in terms of kind of the water cooler as it were i think people from what we can understand are kind of getting their connections support advice challenge sharing insights and ideas through some of the networks that we've talked about, like the Grant Givers Movement, the Grant Funders Network also in the UK. But then there's also a bunch of um kind of other kind of body so if you work for a community foundation in the UK then there's somewhere called the UK community foundations kind of body where you can get information I think as well grant makers um are are kind of connecting with people across places you know if they're operating in places they're working with the communities and different organizations and, and, and networks there and also across sort of different themes so for instance um Another area that's quite interesting uh, to us and we talk about in the book particularly is, is the notion of trying to make grant making more accessible and equitable, and particularly looking at through the lens of sort of redesigning your services and systems with a kind of service mindset. Service is one of the top values that we talk about in the book. And so there's a sort of growing number of grant makers who are trying to develop kind of digital and design skills alongside some of the skills that might have been considered very typical for kind of grant makers a few years ago such as being able to kind of look at budget and assess an application and have good conversations with people there's also that element of it because there's a kind of um we hope ever-growing understanding that that is something that funders need to do <laughs> you know review what you're doing um get feedback ideally kind of get some 
you know, training and skills to make sure that you understand how to um, work with others to make your website accessible, your online forms accessible if you have them, you know, to, to, to understand how to kind of do user research and into it, sort of iterate and improve everything along your process, not just sort of the front end or the start of it. So um, I guess we see grant makers congregating and learning and sharing in, in, in a wide variety of places, but they're risen to kind of certainly in the UK anyway, there isn't a touchstone around kind of grant maker skills. There are organisations in the States like Peak that do fulfil part of that role, but in the UK, we don't see anyone taking up that space. Interesting. Very interesting. And in terms of, so you, you touched on some of the things like trust-based philanthropy, power and balance, participation in the grant making process. What about the post-grant making reality? So, You've made a grant, has it worked? Has it been successful or otherwise? Are you noticing any shifts on that side in terms of evaluating how fruitful that intervention that you've funded has actually proven to be? Yeah, so so there's been just the most amazing flowering of real evidence in grant making in the last 15, 20 years. It's it's worth being, you know, a little bit modest and saying it's, it's not all totally brand new. So if you think back to, you know, the middle of the 20th century when philanthropy was funding things like the contraceptive pill into existence, like that was real science with real, you know, evidence and real outcomes. But moving that kind of um that kind of like really robust evidence methods that generally originated in science didn't really make their way in sort of like social affairs and social science until the international development community really really picked them up in order to robustly answer questions like you know is our money from usa making a difference when we send it to a to a certain country and so on um but then it felt like there was a period of time for a while where international development was doing quite a lot of really like rigorous studies but more domestic community grant making maybe not so much right and then what we are starting to see especially through education and um uh well yeah especially education of young, young people and philanthropy and education of young people you had mariana abdo on on your podcast so i know that you know there's an, someone from an organization that manifests the idea that you know it is now possible to learn more about education outcomes than was thought possible before and therefore it is possible to spend philanthropic money on these things um better so yeah there's this this kind of growing tide that seems to be kind of um uh lifting different bits of like the grant making movement from sort of what you might call like a pre-evidence world to like a post-evidence world um but of course um like there are also just uh, like masses of grant makers out there who frankly just find it hard to engage in evidence and who can be a little bit intimidated by the sudden you know appearance in the office of random people with phds in disciplines they don't necessarily understand so in in um in modern grant making what we really focused on was um was understanding how to work with the specialist researchers and evaluation people if you're not one yourself and how to you know how, how to build those bridges between the really large number of really great grant makers who um who don't you know have the, have the accident of history or the privilege to have done something like you know a research methods master's degree or something but for whom it's really important that they want to grow their skills in that domain so we kind of give a bit of a a cheat sheet on how to learn about that area um, if that's not where you're from. That is great. Because there are some foundations out there that I always sort of describe as being quasi-academic. You know, you have tw 20 Princeton PhDs working there doing the, <laughs> the evaluation and things. And uh, 
and it's interesting how you're, you're you're trying to make that link between those those experts in specific fields versus the professional grant maker, as it were, right? You you sort of view them as two slightly different. Well, and personas. let's also be clear, or, or you know, the there's so many brilliant community nonprofits out there, right, that are just driven by people with masses of passion, but maybe like not a whole kind of ton of like access to formal education. And historically, there's been you know the slight, but honest you know quite hard tension sometimes between um people with lots and lots of qualifications going oh well you know i don't really want to give these people grants because they don't really know how to kind of weigh their own progress which is incredibly delegitimizing and frankly can smack of racism sometimes right but the um uh what what does matter is not just despairing and going there's like well there's just an enormous cleavage between these 20 princeton phds and then all of like say america's kind of community groups like that's not an acceptable way forward what we need grant makers to do is to say research is a wonderful and powerful thing and research is an amazing asset that can help a passion-driven community group to learn what's working and what's not working and to get better at proving their own impact but the role of grant makers there might be to help help organizations learn about these skills and concepts and people that are kind of quite new and do it really, really respectfully, understanding that, you know, just because an organization doesn't know all about randomized control trials doesn't mean that they know absolutely everything about their community. And so, you know, teaching and 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 learning together rather than imposing studies, that's, um, you know, that's essential. And, and I think basically every grant maker has to get what that looks like now. Yeah, there's also another another dimension, just to build on what Tom was saying. Um, when we were developing modern grant making, we spoke to, as mentioned, lots and lots of grant makers working for different kinds of organisations. We did speak to some people working for grant makers that, as you described, were sort of quasi-academic. Um, we did speak to people working for community foundations, but we also spoke to people working for, you know, small family foundations or, or private foundations, and they might be the only member of staff or half a member of staff. And so we were really kind of trying to understand their needs and what they might want from a practical tool like modern grant making. And, it, you know, in that case, being able to have a kind of cheat sheet around, you know, what should I be doing when, I, when it comes to kind of research and evidence when it's just me and, and the board? How do we make good decisions? What are our, you know, considerations and our options there? That was something we really took to heart. We didn't want to develop a book that was only relevant, you know, people working for sort of the largest grant makers. Yeah, absolutely. So see, if you're listening to this and you're maybe panicking about the grant making process that you've been tasked to do, then at least you know that there's one resource out there that could help you uh, with modern grant making. What, um, if you have a call to action or a key takeaway, what would that be from, from each one of you actually, maybe? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start. So um, modern grant making ends with a chapter titled, How Do I Become a Grant Making Reformer? This is because when we spoke with the 100 or so grant makers in developing the book, a key theme that struck us was the number of people who wanted to get involved in grant making reform, but didn't know where to start. So in the UK, the vast majority of grant making organisations are run by very small teams of people, um, uh, you know, funding organisations with hundreds or maybe even thousands of members of staff are actually in the tiny minority, despite catching a lot of attention sometimes in the press. So you have a situation where there's many grant makers working in quite an isolated way. Uh, so in this final chapter of the book, we try to help people to figure out what changes they can individually make in their own job, what changes they can make with others in their organisation, if the organisation has more than one person, and what changes they could make when they're connected with others side of their organisation. 
So the call to action is, you know, anyone can be a grant making reformer. Excellent. Yeah. And so to be like, to be more specific, um, we'd encourage anyone who's currently working as a grant maker or indeed having any job inside grant making institutions, because there are many people inside funders who wouldn't call themselves grant makers, but who are still part of the operation. We'd encourage all of those people um, to explore what, what national, regional or local grant making networks exist um, that they could kind of go and join to work out what people are pushing for. And then maybe more specifically, go and look for individual reform movements of the kind we've talked about today that are on specific things like changing the, the, the legal regulations of the way foundations are regulated or changing the accessibility of, uh, of, of funders to make them uh, more accessible. You know, whatever, whatever is the issue that kind of like you feel burning in your breast, go and find that reform movement because these days it's definitely out there and a bit of Googling will, um, will help you find it. Um, and, um, and by joining one of these kinds of networks or movements that's allied around an area or, or a reform issue, you're like basically really likely to find people who can support you to do this, who can challenge you so that, you know, you yourself can get better rather than just telling other people that they should be better. Um, and even though we strongly believe that individual grant makers have um, a responsibility to try and make change and they have agency to make change sometimes, we also understand that trying to affect kind of constant change when you have a really busy job in a constrained way can take a toll uh, and that's particularly the case if you're in a tiny funder and you're like the one member of staff and so um that's why uh, you know Gemma and i whenever we are um uh kind of talking about this the number one thing we try and say is like you're, you're just not alone even if you can feel tremendously alone and many grant makers feel far more alone than you'd imagine really there'll definitely be either a local or a thematic community out there that that you can talk to and that will make you feel like you are you know um pushing the boulder uphill together rather than on your own excellent excellent it's been an absolute pleasure hosting you both on the do one better podcast it's uh thoroughly enjoyable uh great learning exercise as well and here's to your continued success in uh and improving the uh the ability of grant makers everywhere so thank you tom and, and thank you Gemma. thanks alberto thanks alberto Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Gemma Bull and Tom Steinberg, authors of Modern Grant Making. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. Do tell your friends, family and colleagues about the show. It makes a big difference. And leave us a rating and a review. It's always very much appreciated. For information on more than 100 interviews with remarkable thought leaders in the fields of philanthropy, sustainability and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at lij.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.